0: Hello and welcome. You are listening to Outstanding in Their Field, an agriculture literacy discussion. This podcast is hosted by me, Will Fett, from Iowa Agriculture Literacy Foundation. Throughout this season, we'll be joined by friends of Agriculture in the Classroom from across the country as we explore how agriculture meets some of our most basic needs of food, fiber, and fuel. We'll hear from educators who are creatively teaching and inspiring their students in food and agriculture. And we'll hear from industry experts showing the technology and science of modern agriculture and food production. As I said, my name is Will Fett, but today we have a special treat, and your guest host is Melody Offiel from Oklahoma Agriculture in the Classroom. Today's episode comes from the Sooner State. Melody, I'll turn it over to you to tell us a little bit about cotton production in Oklahoma.
1: I'm Melody Offield, one of the Oklahoma State Ag in the Classroom Coordinators. I'm here with Brandon Varner. He is the Cotton Gin Manager of Country Operations for the CHS Cotton Gin in Frederick, Oklahoma. He is also a fourth generation of farmer here in Southwest Oklahoma. And today I'm just going to ask him a few questions about cotton and let him uh, fill us in on all the uh, good information that he can tell us about cotton and what it's like to be a cotton farmer and work for a cotton gin. So thanks for joining us today, Brandon. Thank you for so much for giving us your time because I know you're right in the middle of harvest. Can you tell us a little bit about what the harvest is looking like this year?
2: Irrigated cotton has been pretty pretty good this year. The dry land crop's been kind of a fair crop. This gin, we're 20% of our acres that are irrigated, so we're heavily a dry land cotton gin. It's going to be a fair year. We're going to end up ginning about 30-some-odd thousand bales of cotton, which is about average for us.
1: And how many years have you been here at the cotton gin? This
2: will be my seventh season here. I started right before a season. So I've been here six years. Okay.
1: And so you said 30? 30,
2: 30,000. 30,000
1: bales. So what's the record that you've done since you've been here? 100,000 bales. Wow. Yeah. Was that in
2: 2018? That was in 2017. 17. Okay. 100,000 100, 100, bales. bales. Yes. That was a huge, huge year. We uh, I think we started in September and ran all the way through April 21st. Wow!
1: And so those 30,000 uh, bales—is that a, a a good year? Or
2: that's a that's a pretty good year. It's okay. not bad. It you know that 100,000 bale year. It's nice. You know we got to 98,000 bales and we begged the guy to bring us some that's- cotton just so we could say we jumped a hundred and and we and he did. But uh, Anyway, it was the 30,000 bale years, maybe not quite as profitable, but that 100,000 bales is a little much for this cotton. Gin. Okay.
1: So, cotton doesn't really uh, follow that typical uh, plant in the spring, harvest in the fall. So, could you tell us a little bit about the life cycle of cotton so, and your year, what it looks like?
2: So, headed cotton will go in, I mean, it can go in the last of April, first of May. Somewhere in that time period, uh, dry land, cotton. So we're we're trying to beat the the late summer heat, but still have enough heat units to get a to mature crop out. So we'll plant that about June 1st through the. In the insurance deadline is the 20th.
1: So what does a typical day look like here at the gin?
2: Well, there is no typical day. I guess <laughs> we. Uh, I guess but it's, it's, thing to a typical day um, when the cotton gin's running right which is what you'd like not a lot there's not a lot of manual labor uh but but as far as me as my side goes i'll come in and make sure everybody's here <laughs> for one and uh, to make sure they've got got their gin lists and and just kind of look through bail records and make sure everything looks right and just interact with customers and take call-ins and line trucks out, get them going to bring in cotton to us.
1: How many people do you employ here?
2: We have, I've got uh, seven truck drivers hauling cotton, hauling modules into the gin and and then a couple that are just hauling of those seven. A couple of those seven are hauling cotton bales to the warehouse.
1: Could you explain the difference between a module and a bale?
2: A module is the the cotton from the farm that it's seed cotton. And so what our purpose is at Cotton Gin is we separate that. We clean it up but we uh, separate that lint from the seed and then we bale the lint into a 480 pound bale.
1: I No, sometimes people might say the cotton bale out in the field, but that's really the module. That's the module. Yeah, and we so,
2: got we got regular rectangular modules with, that you'll see out in the field with a tarp, and then there's round bales with plastic yeah. around them.
1: The terminology gets a little confusing yep, yep, sometimes.
2: Yep, we we still the <laughs> round bales are still new enough around here. They're it gets confusing sometimes.
1: What's the very best part of your job?
2: Just being around people and uh, you know helping helping people out as best you can, you know um, I guess, I guess that kind of goes coincides with the worst part of the job yes. is, <laughs> is is finding people to help us <laughs> at the cotton gym, yeah. but no the, just just interacting with with these guys and bouncing ideas off each other and those friendships and relationships you build with people.
1: So, what's the biggest or what's what are the challenges in your industry
2: in the in the cotton gin challenges are you know kind of kind of alluded to this as is, is help is is a big issue for us we we don't have anything real glamorous because we're a seasonal operation we gin cotton like i said usually typically from october to to uh February time frame is about average, and, and so we don't have a full-time position. We got, lots of be, we, did, we seasonally hire several people. We got 25 people hired right now, but, so it's, it's hard to get the quality of help um, that we would like to have. So.
1: Can you talk about the technology and innovation going on in so, the cotton industry?
2: these round round modules are, are a new thing for the on the farm fairly new they're not brand new um, but that allows allows a farmer to go out there and and harvest cotton kind of by himself okay where it, where it took him you know the farm labor is a shortage everywhere not just at cotton gins. but it, you know it used to take he had a guy on a bowl buggy and you know, and another guy on a module builder and, and you had you, that round round bell machine took the place of two tractors and module builder and a bowl buggy and got rid of a couple of people on the farm. Um, so you got that in the cotton gin. I mean, we've got technology that reads the incoming moisture of the cotton coming in and figures how much, how high to run your heaters to dry it down. and. We've got spark protectors, you know, that are looking for fire, because fire's a cotton is very flammable and can catch on fire. And we we'll have several. Uh, we'll have we probably average about five fires a year. Wow! And uh, so that's you know that's helped a lot. Is catch it early, catch it quick, and you can minimize your losses. But uh, we've got. There's lots of technology. You know, the cotton gin, the principle of ginning cotton hadn't changed. The basic principle hadn't changed. We've just uh, increased efficiencies through technology. We've got an automatic bagger out there that took the place of about two people per shift.
1: So when I walked into your office, I saw the drone, and you said you were taking um, some pictures because uh, CHS has – bought the gin and so and they wanted to see some aerial photos but let's talk about chs and you can tell me about uh how that's working and and i asked you um before if it was if the gin was privately owned and you said no so tell me tell me how that all worked
2: okay um yeah the before we were when i came to work here we were this co-op was tillman producers co-op it was uh Kind of locally owned. Uh, I can't really say farmers just in Tillman County, but it basically was. You know, there was surrounding counties that had we had members of of the co-op. Um, you know, it it was a two location or three location, I guess, counting the GM co-op. We had Frederick and Davidson, and uh, back in late late. Uh, early winter late autumn we had a vote to merge with CHS and our membership voted to to go that direction
1: well so we have, we appreciate CHS because they sponsor uh, scholarships and other things with through the national ag in the classroom program and allow our teachers to get to go to the national conference and so we appreciate that about them, and so I was excited to see that when I pulled up. And yeah. So uh, yeah.
2: we're the, we're CHS's first cotton gin, and uh, I hope we're making a good impression on them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I love the people in Frederick and Tilman County. I am sure that you guys are. And so, could you tell? Because um, teachers all across the uh, country will be listening to this, and so maybe they're not familiar with CHS. Could you tell a little bit more about what? what they do
2: they have several divisions i guess you could say um they've, they've got energy di- uh, division that's um, they've got a refinery in wichita kansas and you know they got big propane deliveries and terminals i guess up north um and then we're part of country operations which is the elevators and grain elevators and fertilizer and Agronomy centers located uh, all across the country. Really, I mean, we CHS is a big, big company. Big.
1: So Far- you know, and still farmer owned. And still farmer owned. That's a great point to make, and um, I think so often. You know, when our students, if you say, oh, would you like a career in agriculture, they think far- the farmer is the only person. And you just threw out lots of words from agronomy and fertilizer. And then you talked about having truck drivers. And there are so many um, occupations that students could do that have to do with agriculture yes. that are not actually the farmer in the field. That's yes. so uh, I was excited to visit with Lisa, and she talked about some about the students coming out here to the gym, and they got to go see a field and, and just um, exploring the different aspects. of
2: See the process from yes. start to finish. Yep. That's, that's, that's always neat to be able to do that. Uh,
1: we appreciate you helping students do that. Why do you think it's important for those kids to be able to see that process? Why do you think those teachers need to be teaching kids about agriculture?
2: There's, there is that disconnect from you know more more populated areas of the world that that we don't know where our food and our clothing come from. You know, there's there's probably a lot of kids out there that don't know that the shirts on their back started off as a growing plant. That you know, is and, true, and that. Uh, I think it's important that they're exposed to that and know that, and, and uh, there'd be lots of policy decisions made based on that knowledge. I think you know it. Uh, it's helpful that they see, see and know that process, and and understand that we're we're here to help.
1: <laughs> so those were third grade students that came out not very long ago, uh, and although they see cotton all around them, do you think that. That a lot of them learned some good information. Oh
2: yeah, they yeah. they all enjoyed it. I think they uh, it it's pretty neat just to see the process. You know, they, you know I don't know how much of it they knew or didn't know, but that you could see a big big square module with seed. You know, we I took them out there and we were a little more hands on. Showed them, you know, this is you can feel the lint and the seed in that cotton there and and after it went through the gin stand you can feel that it that seed's gone and here's the seed it's separated so that and then then see the 500 pound bell come out that's that's, always pretty impressive (laughs)
1: Uh, but very different so we talk about that disconnect between urban and rural Um, and those urban kids often don't know a lot about agriculture unless they have great teachers that are teaching them um, about agriculture. And we have some of those in Oklahoma. We have some really good um, ag in the classroom teachers in large urban districts. But sometimes those students are disconnected. But it is very different even to live in rural Oklahoma and drive by that cotton field and you maybe see about it, you kind of know about it, than to actually get out and, and what they were able to do and manipulate it and see see yes, the lint yes. and feel those seeds. It's, and, it's a and, whole
2: different experience when you get to see that. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, there's, a, at the end of it, because it was a school tour or whatever, we gave them a piece of paper that told them what all you could make out of that bale of cotton that they saw come out at the end.
1: Well, that's exciting. We we need to see that. We try to, we share that sometimes. and. Uh, Sometimes we go to student events, we have a big wheel and cotton's one of the choices and we'll ask them how many t-shirts or pairs of jeans that you can make out of a veil. And and they're always amazed. Either they'll guess really low, like five t-shirts, or they'll guess a million. So it's (laughs) (laughs) hard for them to uh, guess what's in between. So great knowledge. but So what do you think uh, you need in 30 years from our students, so so those kids that came out are nine and eight and nine years old, and so in 30 years when they're a little older than you, what what are they going to need to be able to do or know about agriculture?
2: I think they just need to be exposed to it. I mean, you know, like I said, not everybody's going to be a be a farmer or, or be in the ag industry, you know, but we just need. I think I'm real. Ex- Real proud of the work you're doing and exposing these kids to to agriculture and just what it is and where where our food and fiber come from and what what we need we just need people that'll show up and and with a willingness to learn. Great. And uh, you know technical skills are better, but you know, to get the right person and we'll try we'll teach them what we need to know. Okay.
1: Um, are there consumer trends that drive your
2: industry? So, cotton, you can wear your shirt more than once. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, the the, uh, the economy, we're not a luxury item, but we're close. To, so, somewhat, <laughs> we're, we're not, we're necessary, but not. You can wear your shirt more than once. Put it that way, I guess. It's Um, not
1: like eating a cheeseburger. You just need to eat another cheeseburger once.
2: Yep. That shirt you can wear more than once. So, yes, um, when the economy is better, people tend to buy more clothes.
1: Well, Brandon, thank you so much. And I will say this Brandon uh, is my Oklahoma uh, Ag Leadership classmate. And so, had the opportunity to actually see cotton growing in Central America, yeah. and it's a lot taller, it so, was a lot taller. <laughs> uh, than it gets here. And so, uh,
2: I have to say, our cotton here is pretty.
1: It is pretty. You guys have beautiful <laughs> cotton fields, and it's, it's a pretty drive because it's not all harvested. So, it's beautiful driving down here today. And we thank you for what you do for agriculture and to put food and uh, fiber on in people's lives. And so thank you very much. Thank you. I'm Melody Offill, one of the state coordinators for Ag in the Classroom for Oklahoma and I'm here today with Lisa Sizelove of Frederick Elementary and we are just going to talk a little bit about cotton and teaching and all sorts of fun things. So welcome Lisa. Hi thanks for having me. Oh you're so welcome. So just so let's just do a little background first like and how did you get to Frederick Oklahoma and tell us a little bit about Frederick.
3: Okay Um, we arrived about four years ago. Uh, I came from South Korea my husband was stationed there, and we did everything we could in our power to get orders to Altus, Oklahoma, and so I actually came stateside a month early, what I thought would be a month early. He ended up getting extended for a couple months, but so I came here and uh, put out my resume to teach. I was hoping to get a, a job somewhere, and Ms. Cavanas, the principal of Frederick Elementary, uh, immediately responded back. And so I drove all the way from New Mexico because that's where our house was at the time. So we, I came to Frederick for this interview and I fell in love with this town. So it's about um, 35 minutes from Altus Air Force Base. It's um, southeast of the base. And just driving here, it's beautiful. It's surrounded by cotton fields and farms and I love it. And the town itself is really small. We're happy here. So we're hoping they just leave us be. We've moved a lot in his career, so we're hoping that this is it and we get to stay here. We have the wildlife refuge here, which is gorgeous. It's about, I don't know, 40 minutes away. So we go on the weekends and go hiking and stuff. But My dad lives in Charleston, South Carolina, and he came this past Thanksgiving. He was like, I can't believe this is where you live. Like, you have beautiful views and rocks and everything. And I'm like, yeah, it's not flat like other parts of the country. It's We have mountains and all that down here too. So, so
1: tell us a little bit about the Wildlife Refuge because people might not know that as okay. well.
3: So the Wildlife Refuge, that was set up by mm-hmm. Teddy Roosevelt. Um, he actually came down from the White House. He had heard about this crazy guy who used to catch wolves alive and then he would sell them to zoos and things like that catch him alive jack and uh so teddy comes down wants to meet this guy see it in action doesn't believe it falls in love with frederick he comes in on the train to frederick oklahoma um well it wasn't oklahoma then it was actually well, yeah it was oklahoma the territory. territory yes yeah Pre-statehood. <laughs> so not even a state yet he but he comes out um they hunt on kawana parker's land i believe it's in the big pasture yeah and and then he's coming upon what is now the wildlife refuge, but he set that up based on being here. So, yeah, Mm. but it's beautiful. There's, there's a mountain, Mount Scott, that people like to go up to the top of. And, um, you have canyons, I guess you could call them, uh, not like the Grand Canyon, but I had a friend from Korea come to visit and he was like, Oh, we don't need to go to the Grand Canyon now. This is beautiful. (laughs) Um, there's prairie dogs and Buffalo and, longhorns and it's just it's a neat place to go visit. It's my
1: favorite part in the world so I'm so (laughs) glad you brought that up. Uh, It is uh, beautiful and diverse and so and then all the um, agriculture that surrounds the wildlife refuge is is pretty amazing and so um, you teach third grade here but you have some experience teaching other grades.
3: Mm -hmm. I've also tacked on robotics so I do STEM and then I'm a robotics coach in the afternoons. And that's grades kindergarten through eighth grade.
1: So a lot of responsibility there. Yeah. Let's uh, talk a little bit about um, how you incorporate Ag in the Classroom into your um, third grade okay um, classroom. And
3: just tell me some of the things that you've been doing with that. So um, we do a story called Bud and Me every year. And that's based on the Abernathy brothers, the, the two of the boys of Jack Abernathy. And um, we bring in a lot of Ag in the Classroom lessons to fit so the kids can understand life back in the 1900s, 1908, 1910. So at the beginning of the year, we talk about Oklahoma. We do a a Salt Dome map of the state and talk about the land features, the lakes, the rivers, the major things with Oklahoma and all the states that touch it because a lot of states touch Oklahoma. And then from there, we talk about, all the Oklahoma symbols and things that represent Oklahoma, like the state watermelon or the state vegetable, the state fruit, all those things. And there's this great book that Ag the Classroom puts out with all the state symbols. Red
1: dirt symbols. Yes. Thank
3: you for the compliment. And the kids love it. And we were looking through it this year and the kids noticed that there is no cotton anywhere in the book. And so we talked about like, where would that fit? And so that led into fiber so then it led us on this whirlwind chase this year we did a online zoom call with the board uh, cotton board and she talked to us about um cotton how it's made how it's harvested all of that stuff walked us through it and then she sent us the actual fiber like oh the great fiber. so they got to like that you could pull it apart mm-hmm. and it's really weak but if you twist it it gets really 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 strong and then you can't separate it and so the kids thought that was amazing. We went out to see some of the cotton farms around us. So one, one group went and saw cotton still growing. One group saw it being harvested. And then my group got to go to the actual cotton gin and see it turning into what's going to the factories where they make blue jeans and things like that. And uh, from there, the kids were like, well, we really want to make cotton the state. I mean, it should be acknowledged as a state fiber. And at the time we were teaching letter writing, so my students decided, well, all of our third grade, uh, they wrote letters to all of the uh, senators of our area and uh, representatives of our area. And we just heard back yesterday that uh, Senator Chris Kidd is going to make a resolution on the floor soon. And I don't know if the kids will get to go and present it. Um, That's kind of up in the air because of COVID, but we're really excited. that. So I was so excited (laughs) to hear that news that um, even
1: in the world of COVID, that we would uh, get to do something exciting. But just... I just am so impressed and so excited for these third graders to get to see how um our state government works and so and that our state senators and representatives really do speak for us and that they're supposed to listen to our needs and concerns and so that this was a good um example of that and so that they could reach out to them and and see something work out and so i hope they get to go sit in the chamber and, I and participate and
3: they might have to do it via zoom and that's okay too the kids are just excited that it's gone this far that it's been acknowledged by a senator and we've heard back that that meant a lot to them so
1: and so we're going to come back to that in just a minute but while we're talking about uh, chris kidd, Senator kidd um, he's very familiar with your school for a variety of reasons so he is a he doesn't live here in frederick but he is a hands-on and um, senator because he got to come out for another big award this year uh, <laughs> yeah. so congratulations when your school was Thank named you. the a National Blue Ribbon School um, this year, so an exciting time, and so he knows that there is excellence going on at Frederick Elementary, and so so exciting, and so he knows what you guys are doing is quality work, and well, so. and
3: we in our write up for the the National Blue Ribbon, we wrote in. I mean, part of our success is because we do Ag in the classroom, and we have our STEM program and and things like that, but our ag in the classroom brings out a lot in these kids and it allows them to explore so much. So he's aware of that and that it's so important to these kids.
1: So I'm so glad that you said that because so often um, in today's educational culture, we're so test driven Mm -hmm. and testing is important. We want our kids to have mastered the content that we um, have taught them. And so, but sometimes Teachers um, and districts focus just on reading and math. And so, so exciting to see in Frederick that you guys do robotics and you incorporate ag in the classroom and you have music and you have art and you have, you have uh, very well rounded students. Mm -hmm. And so for a small rural district, I feel like you guys offer so many um, things to your students. And so,
3: and it's so easy to squeeze. If you take the time to really sit down and look at what you're wanting to teach you can pick and choose and place into your lessons these other aspects. With Ag in the Classroom, like the the cotton thing, I could have just taught cotton and left it at that, but the kids wanted to do so much more with that. And so it was so fun to see that happen. Like the kids have already designed their symbol of what it should look like. In the book, The Red Dirt,
1: the of symbols great so uh, we're excited I told everyone when you called uh, that we would have to uh, reprint and update <laughs> the book for next year oh, so yeah. so that cotton will be in there so we're excited about that but uh, what a great aspect that they've taken such ownership mm-hmm. and so um, do you see that in in other ways when you introduce agriculture and those hands-on things for your students to
3: I do like so a lot of the families here are farming families or they work. Or farms, uh, we have a we have a couple of dairies out here that a lot of these kids, their parents work at. Um, so it just brings it more to life for them. And then the kids that are the kids of farmers, they have so much to bring to the table because someone like me, who never grew up on a farm, they get to teach me something every day. And so it's it's fun. I've got one kid every day. He reports to me how many cows. Cattle, heifers, everything, like he, the numbers, all the babies, like he, yeah. It's calving season right now. It's so, so that's important <laughs> to him. And so I let him report to me every day how the, how his farm's doing. And that's, that yeah, it's fun.
1: Well, that's so exciting. And So um, what do you think the best part of your job is?
3: Ooh, those aha moments have always been my favorite. That, that kid that just hates being here or is having a bad day, but they walk in and, something in the lesson just touches them and they're like, yes, you know, and they, they don't want to, they're upset when the day is over. They can't believe how fast the day went. Like, I love that. And that happens every day and I don't do anything super special. <laughs> you know, it's just, but it means a lot to them that we try to gear everything towards them and let them kind of lead the, the pace.
1: That's great. So I hesitate to ask this question, but is there just something about your job that you just don't like? It's the worst part.
3: I've got an amazing staff that I work with. My my principal's incredible. The support staff that we have are fantastic. Like, I've never woken up and been like, ugh, it's school today." Like, I I was upset I had to stay home earlier this week because I had a head cold and my bottom. my you know my principal was like, hey, "I really just want you to rest," you know. And so that was hard, like just yeah. staying away. So I. <sighs>
1: That's so exciting
3: and refreshing yeah. to hear.
1: So. Um,
3: kudos to you, but well, it's, I mean, it's the school, so yeah,
1: that's great. Um, so tell us a little bit about some other things maybe that you've done with ag in the classroom. Can you, um, have you been on the road trip
3: or I did uh, the route 66 road trip and we started up in the Northern, the Northeastern corner of Oklahoma near Tulsa. And that was an area that like Oklahoma is still new to me. And so typically my weekends look like me going to my family farm and that being it and so i never got to get out much so on this trip i got to find out that oklahoma is a seaport i did not know that i just did not even think the port of the port of (laughs) so uh, yeah we have the port of catoosa that connects to the arkansas river that then goes to the mississippi river that then goes out to the ocean and it's crazy to think that um the, the different types of pecans, the uh, watching cows be milked, things that aren't a part of my daily life that I got to experience, the people that I got to meet, the um, the wineries and things that we got to see and, and how things grow. Um, it was just amazing. And one of the places that we ate at, it was a, a Native American restaurant's food was grown there in their little hydroponic green or it was i had like, forgotten all about
1: that <laughs> stop so that, that was a that was great amazing. stop
3: it was that, yeah i loved it and the food was delicious it came mm-hmm. straight from farms right there nearby and some of the stuff they grew right there on site and mm-hmm. i just thought that was so cool so, so that
1: was a great stop so yeah. uh, that is one of my favorite activities being a state coordinator that we get to do lisa alluded to this but oklahoma is very geographically diverse mm-hmm. so each quadrant, if you divide it into four quadrants, each quadrant looks uh, very different from the other one. And so, southeast Oklahoma is forest. We actually have forest and timber industry uh, down in southeast Oklahoma. And you might not think of that. Northeast is more rolling hills and a little forest, but uh, rolling hills and lots of blackjack trees and um, cattle ranches. Northwest Oklahoma is a lot of wheat country. um Northwest and Southwest are similar, but also still a little different. And then Southwest Oklahoma borders on uh, being a desert, yeah, actually. Yeah. And so and we do have some uh, mountains. Maybe if you're living in the Rockies, you don't think they're mountains, but we do <laughs> so have uh, they are. They are mountains. Uh, and so uh, lots of different agriculture in Oklahoma. And so people do think of Oklahoma agriculture as wheat and cattle, but we uh, do have a lot different things to offer in agriculture. Why do you think it's important for people to know about and understand agriculture?
3: It's so important for kids and adults alike to understand where their food comes from. Um, the the difference between a 500 mile salad versus a 10 mile salad. Um, my husband and I always talk about that and how important that is. Just knowing where your food comes from and, and the work that goes into it. Um, you go to the grocery store and they're able to do things in bulk. And so the price might be a little bit cheaper, but when you're buying direct from a farmer, or from a farmer's market, you have to understand like you're dealing straight with the farmer and all the costs that he or she, I mean, we have a lot of female farmers around here. Um, the, the cost that goes into that. And so I have a lot of pride when I go to the farmer's market and buy their produce because I know where it comes from. I know those people and I know the the families and, and the impact it's going to make on the community. My older son, when he was little, He didn't really understand where food came from, Um, and so he was visiting my husband one summer, and we had chickens on the farm that year, and the chickens had babies, and so he was just in love. Well, then uh, a couple of weeks later, it was time for us to take him back to to his home in South Carolina and when we left we stopped at a restaurant and he wanted chicken nuggets and I jokingly made a comment like oh that's one of grandma's chickens and he about died and didn't want to eat chicken for a while but um just trying to get him to understand like that's part of the life cycle that's where the food comes from and you know we we love them while they're here and then we we they provide for us after we've taken care of them And now, you know, now he sees that, and it's totally different for him. For my younger son, from the time he was born, we were really because we didn't want that to happen again. We really wanted him to know where his food came from, so that was a conversation we had all the time. And so, two different experiences. Um, But my youngest has so much respect for food. Period. He's not a picky eater. He loves growing his own food. We do that every year, every summer. So what are some of the, your
1: favorite, oh, his favorite things to grow? Of all raise? things
3: kale. Oh, like I hate <laughs> kale. <laughs> I try to eat it cause it's healthy, but he just loves the fact that he grew it. So he's going to eat it. He doesn't care what it tastes like, but he's so proud of that. And his biggest thing is pumpkins. Pumpkins are, are very easy to grow in our area where we are. And so he ends up with about 100 to 200 pumpkins and oh wow it all started because he buried one of his pumpkins one year he just wanted to dig a hole and bury it and i couldn't wait for him to realize that seeds are (laughs) going (laughs) to sprout from that so it's basically taken over our yard um and we have pumpkins every year did he does he sell them he sometimes does yeah He really just likes to give them to his friends and and people, but he did enjoy selling them that one time.
1: I want to go back, though, to what you said, that it's not necessarily that he likes kale, but that he grew it. And so there's ownership in that. Mm -hmm. And I think if more children or adults actually planted fruits or vegetables and grew them, they might try them, even if they didn't like them. Sometimes when you uh, plant something, it tastes better than Oh yes, when you just pick it fresh and go in and eat it right then, and it hasn't had time to sit around, and
3: so well, and so we grow strawberries on the the farm, and so my older son, you know, he never had that experience, so he just you know he'll eat any strawberry. Well, my younger son, his first strawberry experience was picking one off the vine. He was about a year old. It made a huge mess but he can't eat store-bought strawberries anymore. They taste <laughs> gross to him. I'm like, you're such a snob. But so now we, yeah, he won't eat strawberries unless they're in season and they're growing right. on the farm. Educators and
1: parents often tell children, we never stop learning. Mm-hmm. Um, how is this statement true for you? And how do you educate yourself?
3: Um. Oh man, I try to do courses all the time. Um, when, when COVID hit and I realized the the teachers were going to need some experience with technology. I threw myself into Google and took all their courses, became a trainer, like just wanted to make myself a better person to be able to help my teammates be, be better and not so stressful. And so I do things like that. Um, robotics. I know nothing about robotics, but man, have I learned a lot and my students that are on the teams watch me get frustrated And work through all these challenges and not give up trying to figure out how to do things like follow the black line or whatever I'm trying to tell the robot to do. But I want to learn along with them. And so they love watching me try to figure all this out. And um, I want them to see me struggle. I want them to see me cope with that and not give up and keep pushing Um, because I think that that's important. And a lot of kids don't get to see that part of adults because we don't want them to see that for whatever reason. I make mistakes in class and I catch myself, you know, Uh, I I grew, I started life as the beginnings of a biologist and so chemistry and things like that. So I pronounced what we say, aluminum as aluminium, because that's what, that's how it's pronounced and spelled. Well, then I'm telling that to my kids yesterday and I'm like, let's see what the dictionary says. And so I pull it up. Well, the American Dictionary has it spelled aluminum and pronounced aluminum. And so my kids were like, are they allowed to do that? And I was like, I, I guess so. So then that led us on this whole word origin thing of how did this even happen? You know, like scientists solely call it aluminum, but everybody else in America calls it aluminum and everybody else in the world calls it aluminum. So- I didn't know that. <laughs> Learned something but new. It, I mean, my students were just, they loved that I was proven wrong, but I want my students to see that that, that, that those things happen every day.
1: I think that's wonderful because sometimes as teachers, if we just think that we have all of the answers or don't ever say, oh, I need to look that up right. or, or I don't know, um, students, they don't understand that process of it's okay that I don't know things and I can find it out and no one knows everything.
3: I feel like letting the kids know that even we don't have all the answers allows them to ask these big questions questions, you know, and, and find these deeper answers. So,
1: so one last question, what changes in your classroom
3: when you use food or agriculture? Oh my gosh. Okay. So we did a lesson on how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich last week. And if I were to have my kids write me a how to, you know, they're just gonna be like basic writing. It's not going to be anything crazy. So when I had them, I told them, look, I've never made a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Just pretend that I'm super rich and I have chefs at home that do everything for me. And I've never made one. Okay. And I really, really want a peanut butter and jelly sandwich right now. You have to tell me how to do it, but you have to write down the directions. So they did that and I followed their directions and it was awful. Like we never even got the peanut butter opened, and I was just spreading the jar on the bread. Sometimes they didn't even tell me to have the bread. So I was just rubbing the two jars together it was bad. So then they were like, no, 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 we need this back. We need to write better instructions. They wouldn't have done that had I not gone through the motions of what they had created. So then they go back, they make new instructions. I try. We got close, but it was still pretty bad. And then they were like, okay, we got to do this one last time. We, we have to do this right And so I sat there and I made, slowly made a peanut butter and jelly sandwich as they thought through the process out loud. And then they, they came back with like a whole page. What a great fun lesson. But they wouldn't have jumped into that so animately, just so excited had it just been a writing assignment and not had a demonstration. How to walk your dog or how to to fly a kite or something. I could have picked anything. But I was like, man. And then I, I did make them all peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. That's so great. They were very happy about that. That's great. Well,
1: thank you so much uh, for talking to us about Ag in the Classroom and agriculture, teaching and, and life. And so uh, we appreciate what you do as a teacher and for students and, and how you, um, how you incorporate agriculture and teach the importance of that to your students. So thank you very much. Thank you for having me.
0: sure to follow our podcast on Instagram at Outstanding in Their Field Podcast, our website and our Facebook page. For more information on the Agriculture in the Classroom programs in your local area, visit agclassroom.org. Remember to subscribe to Outstanding in Their Field on your favorite podcast streaming service and visit the show notes to learn more. For now, thanks for listening and stay tuned for next time when we hear from more folks who are outstanding in their field.